Thanks, Nick. Wow, I just, uh, it's kind of a homecoming for me. <laughs> it's been a, quite a while. As Nick mentioned, uh, I was on staff here at Cerritos. I was a small group director. And uh, about 16 years ago, we left to plant uh, Catalyst Christian Community. And so um, I'm really excited to be back. And so I'm really looking forward to just kind of being with you. I really appreciate this opportunity to just kind of reconnect and uh, share God's word today. Uh, so today, I'm going to share uh, a story that comes from Judges chapter 6. So why don't we kind of jump right into it. Uh, a little bit of background. So Judges chapter 6, uh, the story here is the Israelites have come into Canaan. They've come in to take the promised land. And they've gone through some difficult times where they really turned away from the Lord. And in this situation where we're going to see in Judges chapter 6, they're actually overtaken by the Midianites, okay, which is a neighboring kind of uh, uh, area. And they've been under their rule for about seven years at this point. Okay? So they're under the Midianites' rule and reign for about seven years. Okay? Then they start crying out to the Lord. We're going to pick up the story in verse 11, uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 11. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Bezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay, so let's stop right there. There's a couple things you want to kind of notice from the initial verses is one, that God responds. When they're crying out, God hears them and he responds. So in verse 11, we see the angel of the Lord coming to. Uh, coming down to Israel and coming to uh, this man Joash's house. And Joash has a son, and you probably don't, maybe not know Joash, but you probably heard of his son, Gideon. Okay, so Gideon, he's there and he's threshing wheat. Okay, if you're not a farmer, maybe you don't know what threshing wheat is. I didn't know what it was either. I had to look it up. So threshing wheat is basically when you take the edible part of the wheat and you separate it from the chaff. Okay, so that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to thresh the wheat, but he's doing it inside of a wine press. Okay, a wine press is just like a vat where they make wine. They like stomp on the grapes and stuff like that. Uh, he's hiding inside of the wine press. And you might, why is he threshing wheat inside of a wine press? Well, it's because of the Midianites. Because they're under oppression from the Midianites. In fact, the Midianites would come and they would take over all of their crops. They would come and to bring their livestock and they would take control of the area and they would steal all of their food and they would give it to their livestock. So Gideon is afraid that that's going to happen. So that's why he's hiding inside of the wine press trying to thresh this wheat. That's when the angel of the Lord comes and starts addressing Gideon. Okay, so what does he say to Gideon? In verse 12 he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's how he addresses Gideon. Okay, Gideon responds in verse 13. What does he say? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. What's Gideon's response? He's upset. 
And when I look at the story, and that's why I kind of gave the background, is that they've been really under oppression for the past seven years. He has reason to be upset. You know, he's heard stories about how God has been so amazing. You know, generations not too, not too distant from that are the ones that actually came out of Egypt and really conquered and took a hold of the promised land. He's probably heard all these stories growing up about how God is mighty and he's incredible and he's faithful, but that's not his experience right now. His experience is that he's experienced this for the past seven years, under oppression. He's starving. He's hungry. He's not free. He's under bondage. He's under difficulty. He's under all these difficult circumstances. And I think for us, we can probably relate to some of that. I think the past couple years have been some of the most difficult that we've ever had. You know, for a lot of people, I feel like they've gone through difficulties and uh, a lot of hard situations in the past couple years. And for some of us, maybe we're still going through that. Maybe we're still going through times where we're asking the question that Gideon is asking today. God, where are you? This is who I thought you were. This is who I heard you were but I don't see that happening right now. And that's what Gideon is, he's sharing and expressing his heart. It's interesting because in verse 14, the angel of the Lord replies to him, he says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? He doesn't address it at all, what Gideon just said, right? He doesn't say, well, you know, this is what really was happening and this is, no, he says, go in the strength that you have right now, and you can save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Verse 15, Gideon replies, pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Okay, so Gideon replies by saying, um, I think you got the wrong guy, because... You know, in the tribe of Manasseh, my family is the weakest, and even within our weak family, I'm the least of that. I'm the, like the lowest of the low. Who are you talking about? I'm not going to deliver the nation of Israel from the Midianites' hand. Like, there's no way. I can't do this. And so it's interesting when I look at, at Gideon's reply, because I, this, this actually encourages me, right? Because... You see different people in the Bible, different heroes of the faith, like people that have really done amazing things, and Gideon goes on to be a judge. But you see them, like, whether it's David, and when he sees Goliath, like, yeah, let me get out there. I'm going to go take down Goliath, and who are you to go against the kingdom of God? And he goes out, and he's going against everybody else's fear, and he goes out. But a lot of times, I relate more to Gideon, right, saying, like, who am I to do that? Or like Moses, when God calls him to deliver the people of Israel, say like, oh, no, I'm, I'm a stutterer. Like, I can't go and just tell Pharaoh that. I think a lot of times we kind of relate to more like a Moses or a Gideon when God calls us and says, you're going to do something significant. You're going to call to make a huge impact. Even the Great Commission, you are called to go out to all the nations and make disciples of all nations. I think a lot of times we feel more like this than like a David. You know, we feel like, how can I do that? You know, who am I to do that? I can't do that. 
And so when I look at this, this is kind of encouraging. In fact, let's, this is the beginning, uh, where we introduce the beginning. Let's kind of fast forward to the end of the story. It's not the very end, but let's fast forward to Judges chapter 7. Okay, so we looked at the beginning. Let's fast forward to kind of the end in Judges chapter 7. Uh, Judges chapter 7 says, Early in the morning, uh, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley of the hill of Morai. And the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I can't deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So announce to your army, tell Gideon, now announce to your army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Okay? So they have, according to my math, you can check me, I think they have 32,000, right? So 22,000 left, they have 10,000 left, so they started with 32,000, is that right? And the Lord is saying to Gideon, this is too many. This is too many to go up against uh, Midian uh, because if they did, they would say, my own strength has saved me. Later in the narrative, we learned that the army of Midian has 135,000. Okay, Midian army has 130. They only have 32,000. What is the Lord talking about here? That doesn't sound like too many to me. It's not like they have 500,000 going up against 100. They only have 32,000, and the Lord is saying, that's too many. That's too many. So he says, tell your army, whoever's afraid, they can leave. And 22,000 of them leave. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Okay, so... Not only is the, the 32,000 too many, he's saying this 10,000 that's left, that's also too many. So we're not going to read the whole account, but basically Gideon takes them out down to the river, and then they have this different thing where like, if, some, if some of the army, they go and they drink out of the water like a dog, uh, those people are going to go. But anybody that drinks it out of their hand and is still aware, they're going to stay. Okay, so how many people are going to drink out of their hands and they're going to remain? 300. 32,000, down to 10,000, down to 300. Okay, 300 people against 135,000. Okay, that's what Gideon is faced up against. Okay, let's go down to verse 17. This is Gideon speaking. He says, watch me. He's speaking to his 300 that are left. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. What, what happened to this guy? What happened to this guy who said, no, no, there's no way I can do this. I, my family is the least, and in my family, I'm the least of the least. There's no way that I'm going to go and deliver Israel. Now he's saying, come follow my lead, this 300 people that's going to go up against 135,000. Follow my lead. Blow your trumpets and say, for the Lord and 
for Gideon. What the heck just happened here? What happened to Gideon? Look at, look at as the story continues, verse 19. Gideon and the 100 men, okay, so he split the, the 300 into three different kind of segments of 100. Okay, so verse 19, Gideon and the 100 men that are with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets, broke their, broke their jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and smashed their jars, grasping their torches in their left hand and holding um, in their right hands the trumpets they were about to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Okay, so get this picture. Okay, so there's three groups of 100. Okay, three groups of 100. Okay, Gideon is with his 100, and then the other two are going to follow Gideon's lead. Okay, so what does it say in verse 20? They said, in their left hand, what are they holding? They're grasping torches. Okay, and in their right hand, they're grasping trumpets. Okay, so wait, left hand, they have torches. Right hand, they have trumpets. What are they not holding? They don't have any swords. They're going to battle with trumpets and they're going there with torches. They have no swords. There's only 300 of them going up against 135,000 with no weapons. And Gideon is confidently leading this army into battle. What happened to Gideon? What happened to this person who was so afraid? What happened to this person who said, there's no way that I can do this? Something happened. Okay, so we see the beginning of the story. We looked at the end of the story. Something obviously happened in the middle of the story. Okay, let's look at that. Judges chapter 6. Okay, so there's several things that happen in the middle, but I think this is probably the most significant. Judges chapter 6, verses 36 to 40. Now Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose, the next, uh, rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, and a bowl full of water kind of came out. Okay? So Gideon's saying, Lord, I'm going to put out a fleece, okay? And if you're familiar with this story, it's like he's kind of putting out a test, right? He said, I'm going to put out a fleece. I'm going to put it on the ground. And what I want you to do, Lord, if you're really here with me and I'm going to deliver Israel, you're going to make the fleece wet and everything around it is going to be dry. Okay, that was the test he put it forth, right? Okay, so then next morning, that's exactly what happened. Okay, he takes the fleece. And then it's all wet, and the, all the ground around it is all dry. Okay? But what's interesting to me is verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, Don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Let me, one more, let me have one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. Okay, and that night God did so, and the fleece was dry, and all the ground was covered with dew. Okay, so why does he do this a second time? Okay, so he puts out this fleece, and then the Lord does exactly like Gideon asked. Okay, he makes it wet, and then he makes all the ground dry. Okay, 
what's going on with the second test? Okay, where he's asking, now what I want you to do the opposite. I want you to make the fleece dry, and I want you to make the ground all wet. Like, why is Gideon asking that? Is he doubtful for the first test? Because, okay, this fleece is on the ground. Maybe an animal came and then went to the bathroom on the fleece. That's what really happened. It really wasn't God making it wet. Is that what's happening? Is that why he's asking him to do it a second time? You know, when you look at this, it's interesting because... He's testing God, right? And in fact, the passage actually says, let me do one more test, right? When I have heard, I remember like in reading through the Gospels, like in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is being tempted by the devil, and the devil is taking up to him and putting him on the pinnacle of this temple, uh, on the temple, and he says, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down from the temple because the angels, they'll come save you. Right? And what does Jesus reply to the devil when he tempts him in that way? He says, you shall not test the Lord your God. You shall not test the Lord your God. You know? And I look at this, and I wonder about that passage, right? And I wonder about this because haven't we done this? Don't we do this? Don't we say, like, God, if you're really here with me, can you give me a sign? Can you show me? I've done this, like... Especially if it's something really big, I ask the Lord, gosh, okay, I'm not sure about this. If you're here with me, can you show me something? Can you do this? Can, if, if this is really what you want me to do, then let this happen, right? Have you done that? Am I the only one? Have you guys ever done that with the Lord and asked him, like, can you please confirm that this is right? Can you do this for me? And then if you do this for me, okay, then I'm going to go ahead and decide and do this, Right? Is that okay? Is that right? You know, when Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord God to, your te to the test, is that wrong that we do that? Well, I don't know, but he does it. He does it in chapter 6. He does exactly what he asked the Lord, and even though it's a test, he does it twice. And the question that I have here is not necessarily like the wrong or rightness of that, but it's, what is happening here? What, what is happening, and why does Gideon suddenly turn from this person who's scouring and hiding inside of a wine press to going and being this mighty warrior who's going to go and become and defeat the 135,000 of the Midianites and become the judge of Israel? What happens? Well, when I look at these two tests, what I see is the first test, he's really asking the Lord, are you here and are you, are you powerful, right? And I think that when he sees that the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, he's saying, yes, you're here and you're powerful. You'll do what you say. You'll do what you say. The second test is what I think is happening is, Lord, you're here and you're powerful, but will you do that for me? Will you do that for me? So in verse 39, he says, don't be angry with me. Because he knows he, he, he knows he shouldn't be asking this, right? right? Because he already did it one time, and the Lord did it. He knows he shouldn't be asking. He says, please don't be angry with me, but let me do this one more time, right? And I feel like the heart behind this is, let me know that you'll do it for me. This is like a favor, right? Because he already did it for him, saying, can you do this for me one more time? And when the Lord does it for him one more time, the Gideon recognizes that the Lord is not just powerful, 
the Lord is not just mighty. The Lord cannot just do these mighty things, but he'll do it for me. And I think that's important for us. Because a lot of times we think, yeah, God's amazing. He's powerful. He can do miracles. But he won't do that for me. And then we separate the two. We believe the Lord is awesome. He can do miraculous things. He can do miracles. He can heal people. He can deliver people. He can do all of these incredible things. But he's not going to do that for me. This is why Gideon has these two tests. One is to confirm that, yes, he's amazing. He's miraculous. He can make this wet and everything else dry. He's powerful. But I believe when he asks a second time and saying, can you do this a second time for me? That the result of that is knowing not only you're powerful, but you're going to do that powerful thing through me. And that's the important connection that we need to have. We need to see, like, not only can he do it through someone amazing, he doesn't just do that through pastors or missionaries or other people that we kind of respect or look up to. He can do that through me. He does that through me. And that's the transformation that Midian, that Gideon really needed to have is God is powerful, he's amazing, and he will do that for me and through me. When he started recognizing that God was present and he was doing that, and it doesn't have to be him doing that, because that's the reason he didn't feel like he could do it. And I would, I would think, he's probably right, he can't do it. When he says, I'm the least of the least, that might be true, right? And when he says, I can't deliver Israel, that's probably true. If we think that we're going to do it, we're going to be like Gideon in the beginning of the story and not like Gideon at the end of the story. The more we think that we're going to have to do it, the less confidence and courage we're going to have. The less ability that we're going to go out and to make a difference and to make an impact on people's lives. But when we feel like God is the one that's going to do it, then it's going to give us more courage. Um, when I, uh, I shared with you that I was on staff here at Cerritos, and when I first graduated seminary, you know, I came on as a small group director here at CBC. And uh, fresh out of seminary, and I got some opportunities to preach, right? And so I remember the first time I started preaching, I started trying to do what I learned in seminary. So in seminary, you're, learned to, you're kind of uh, taught to manuscript your message, okay? So public speaking, that's probably normal too, right? So you write it all out, okay? You write out your whole message, right? And then when you deliver it, you're supposed to have good public speaking practices, right? You're supposed to read it. But then what are you supposed to do? You're not supposed to just look like this the whole time. You're supposed to look, look up, make eye contact with people, and then go back to your manuscript and start reading. Okay? So what I started to realize for the first few times that I was preaching at CBC is like, I'm not good at that, right? And what I mean by that is I'll start reading the manuscript, and I'll start making eye contact, and when I look back down, I don't know where I am. I can't find my place. I can't find my place in the manuscript. And so there's like this awkward pause, like, and it feels really long for when you're up here, but I'm sure it's not that long up there, but it feels really long. And so I'm like, this is not good. Like, I can't do this. But I'm like, okay, this is what I taught. I need to, I need to keep doing it this way. Okay, so I kept on doing it. And then, like I said, it's, it's not working well. I have this like awkward pauses and awkward things. Like I, like, I don't know what I'm doing up here. I'm getting sweating and all this stuff up here. 
And then I remember, I, I don't know how I, I came across this, but I remember seeing Pastor Gary and looking at his, his notes, right? And he had like really, really big font, right? I don't know how big it was. I don't know, it was like 14 or 16 or what, whatever the number was, but I'm like, that's brilliant. I should do that. I should make it really big to help me when I look back down so I know where I'm looking at. So it's a little tiny font, right? And so I did that. I changed it to the really big font, and I had my manuscript, and I was out there, and I was going up, looking at it. Same thing. I still don't know where I am. Do I need to go get my eyes checked? What, what's going on here? And so eventually, I started learning, and I tried to adapt and do something different. Okay, so what I ended up doing, and I could do this. I didn't preach this often. I memorized my message. Okay, so I had my manuscript, and then I would practice it over and over and over until I memorized it. Okay, so then when I would come here, I don't need the manuscript anymore. I just memorized it, right? And then I would go and deliver the message. And that went way better, okay? I was super nervous <laughs> that I was trying to memorize it, but it wouldn't work better. And so I kept on doing that again and again and again. And even when I went to Catalyst, I kept up that same way, right? I'd prepare my message, and then when it got to Friday, Saturday, I'd practice and practice and practice and practice. And then by the time Sunday came, I'd memorize my message. And in fact, when I go up there, I would have no notes, right? I didn't need any more. I just trusted that I was just memorize the passage. In fact, you know, and I'm just going to be honest with you, transparent, I kind of take pride in that, right? You know, because like the worship leader would go up there saying, where's your notes? Like I see like you go up there, he goes up to the music, and there's like no notes. Right? And I was like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't have notes. I just memorized my message. Da, da, da. <laughs> trying to be all humble, but you know, da, 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 da. But really, I kind of, to be honest, I took kind of some pride in that, that I memorized my message. I don't need any notes. Like, I'm free, you know, when I'm up there, right? Okay, so fast forward the story. This was maybe about three or four years ago, and um, the Lord started speaking to me. And one of the things he pointed out to me was when I was practicing, like on, let's say, Saturday night, and I was kind of, I practice out loud, right? So I practice out loud. So I'm practicing out loud and kind of practicing my message. And I remember, I just, he just pointed out that a lot of times I would really feel kind of God's spirit present with me, you know? And as I'm practicing, like sometimes I'd be crying. Like I just felt so much of God's presence there as I'm giving the message and like sharing the things that he's been putting on my heart. I would like start crying you know, when I'm preparing, and sometimes I just have to even stop, right? But what I noticed was the next day on Sunday when I give the message, nothing. No emotion. I didn't sense God's presence. I, nothing, right? And so the Lord is pointing that out, and so I was asking the Lord, why is that? How come when I'm practicing on Saturday, I really feel your presence, I really feel the Holy Spirit, I really feel like you're anointing there, but then on Sunday, I don't feel anything. And then the Lord told me, it's because after you've memorized it, you're no longer dependent on me. That you don't need me anymore. You don't need the Holy Spirit. You just need yourself, right? And I was like, oh my God, that's not good. That's not good. And so I asked the Lord, okay, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to stop memorizing. And I was like, Lord, I can't do that. Remember the whole manuscript thing? I can't, I can't, I can't do this thing, right? He's like, I want you to stop memorizing. Okay, so I took baby steps. Okay, so I would practice, 
but I would only practice maybe one time, maybe two times, but not enough to memorize it. Okay, so I keep on practicing it. So do my same normal thing, and then I would go and deliver the message, right? And when I started doing that, I realized, oh, this is not as good. This is not as good, but I want to keep on doing it. So I want to keep on doing it. So I kept on doing it, kept on doing it, and eventually I started adjusting. And the Lord, and the Lord addressed me again. He says, okay, <laughs> and it's funny. He said to me, I want you to, this is, he said, this is good what you're doing. I want you to keep growing in this way. And he said to me, now I want you to go up there without any preparation. I want you to go up there without preparing at all. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I can't go up there without preparing at all, right? But, and so I didn't listen. I, didn't, I thought, that's too crazy. I'm not going to do that. And so I kept going, kept going, kept going. And I was, just, I was trying to adopt this new way. And then he told me again, I want you to go up there without practicing. And so after he told me a second time, I think he told me maybe a third time too. I said, okay, I need to do this. I don't think God's leaving this alone, right? So I need to do this. And so I stopped practicing altogether, okay? So I still prepared all throughout the week, but I didn't practice at all, zero, okay? And so I remember the first time that I tried to do this, and I remember going up there before I was about to preach. I was so nervous, right? I was like, kind of go through my message, going through my message in my mind, da, da, da. And I went up there, and it was, I thought it was really bad. Right? And I talked to other people like, oh, no, it's fine, it's fine. But no, this is bad. This is a bad message, right? And I just felt like I didn't know what I was saying. And then I was like mumbling my words. And then I looked back at my message. And I'm like, oh, I forgot to do this. I forgot to do this. I forgot to do this. And I'm like, oh, see, Lord, I told you this is not good. But then he said, just keep going. Just keep going. Okay? So I kept on going, kept on going. And then it did. It got better. It got better, and I kept on going, kept on going, kept on going. Then the Lord came again, and then he said, I want you to go up there and give a message with no preparation. Not just no practice, no preparation at all. I don't want you to prepare at all. I just want you to go up there and give the message. Whatever I tell you to speak, I want you to. I was telling, no, I'm not going to do that. Are you crazy? I can't go up there with no preparation at all. Okay. You told me not to memorize, I did that. Okay, you told me not to practice, okay, I did that. I gotta draw the line here now. You're telling me to do nothing, no, no preparation at all, don't prepare any kind of message and just go up there? I, there's no way I could do that. Same thing, told me one time, then he told me another time, and then eventually I felt like, okay, I don't, I don't know how this is going to go, but I need to, I'm going to try to do this. Okay, so this is actually not a catalyst. So after a catalyst, you know, I joined Standing Stone, this ministry, and then I was helping out at my cousin's church. Okay, so I was an interim pastor there. And so it was at that church that I was doing this. Okay, so we're going through the book of Philippians. And so I'm going to try this for the first time. I'm going to go and prepare nothing. Okay, so I go and I, I know what passage we're going to speak on. So I know the passage kind of in the back of my mind but I don't prepare at all. I don't open up the Bible. I don't open up any books. I don't look at it. I don't do anything the whole week. And then I go to Sunday. Okay, I go to Sunday, and then I go there early, and then we're kind of setting up, and um, I'm amazingly peaceful, 
right? I'm amazingly peaceful, right? And I go there until the service started and then the worship team is up front and all of a sudden I'm super panicked, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go up there in 10 minutes. I have no idea what I'm going to say right now. I have no clue what's going to, I have no idea. And so that 10 minutes or so that the worship team is praying, I'm going through and looking at the passage and scrambling and scrambling, looking at it like all panicked and trying to go, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What is this saying? What is Paul saying in this passage? And I'm looking, 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 looking. And then the MC comes up and announces me and I go up there. And then I go deliver the message. And then God just takes over. And all of these things started coming out. Things that were... I was not even aware of in the passage that I have never even thought about before. He was reminding me of other passages that related to this, and all of these things were coming out. And all of these things were really, I could tell, connecting with people, and I really felt amazingly blessed. And when I left that message, I was like, what just happened here? This was amazing. This was just amazing. You know, and as a preacher... I think that, you know, all pastors kind of attest to this, like, that's always our heart's desire. Like, we only want to preach what God wants to speak. We want that. But this time, I felt very confident in that because I didn't have anything. I didn't prepare anything. The only thing I came out is what the Lord placed on my heart and through my mouth at that moment when I was speaking. And I just felt so incredibly amazed by the Lord. Then the next thought I had was, why did I panic right before and look at that message and try to do that little, that didn't do anything in that 10 minutes before I went up there anyway. Why did I do that? Okay, so what I said is, I want to do it again, but I don't want to do that little 10-minute thing, right? So the next week, going to the next Pastor Philippines, same thing. All throughout the week, no preparation. Then I go to Sunday, again, I feel very calm and peaceful. Okay, so then before the service, uh, I was talking to one of the worship, worship members, uh, worship leaders, and then they came up to me and said, hey, Pastor Sam, I just wanted to let you know that my friend is coming today, and uh, she's bringing her boyfriend, and my, my friend is not a Christian, and her boyfriend's never been to church before, and I just want to let you know that they're going to be here today. And then after they said that, I started panicking again, right? <laughs> right? And so then I get my Bible and I'm looking through the passage again. But... It's interesting because it's a little bit different because the first time I was looking through it panicking for me because I didn't know what. The second time I was panicking because I wanted the Lord to speak to these people. It wasn't for me, so it's a little bit different. But same thing, 10 minutes before, I'm scouring through this Philippians passage. What are you going to speak to these guys, you know, when they come here? Okay, so I come up here, go up again, and then I start preaching. Same thing. The Lord just starts speaking all of these different things and I go and I share and I feel like the Lord's spirit is with me and all all these things are coming out and it's so amazing and ironically they didn't show up right that's what made me mad right they didn't show up that day his friends didn't show up and I was so mad and again it's the same thing I was like why did I do that you know why did I do that and so I'm a slow learner so I did it one more time I did it one more time. So the third time, I did it again. I did the same thing. I did not prepare all week. I went to Sunday. Again, Venice built even more of a sense of peace. It's funny because I felt so at peace, I started going around and just praying for everybody. Like, 
I was there early. I'm like, I don't have anything to prepare, so I'm just going to go pray for people. So I started praying for this person and this person, and then someone texted me in this morning. My sister texted me about something, and I'm texting back and praying for her, and I'm like, this was really amazing. Like, I felt so free. I felt so free. Like, this is not on me. This is not dependent upon me. I'm not driving any of this, which is probably always the case, but I really felt it and experienced it in a real way. This is not about me. So right before service, you know, so you'd be proud of me. I did not look at the passage. I did not panic. I went up there with nothing. And the same time as the last two times. Amazing. 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 And I felt like of all the times that I've preached in my life, I felt like those were the times where I felt the closest to God, the most power, the most authority, the most kind of sense that the Lord is the one working and that it's not me. And I share that story because not that the Lord is going to call you to do that, but what the Lord really showed me is it's not up to you. It's not up to you in your preparation. It's not up to you in how much you can do. It's not up to you in how much you know and how much you have ability and how much you can prepare. It's not up to you. It's up to me. You know, when I look at passages like Joshua 1.8 and 1.9, where the Lord says, be strong and courageous. Command you, do not be afraid. I think we focus on that, but we don't look at the reason. It says, because I am with you. That's what Gideon experienced. That's why he was transformed. That's why he could have courage. Courage doesn't come from ourself. Courage doesn't come from our own trying, our own pulling up ourselves by our bootstrap. Courage comes when we recognize the Lord is with us. Courage comes from God. It doesn't come from us. When we kind of want to think that the Lord is saying, I want to use you. I want you to step out. Especially in this environment where we're in the past two years when we've really been beaten up and we've become more fearful and we're so anxious all the time. You know, at this is the time when, when Gideon was like that with the Midianites and the Lord saying, Yes, I want to use you now at this time. I think that's why the angel doesn't even address what Gideon said about all these different things that were happening and his questions. He's saying, no, you can do this. You can do this. And it's interesting what he says, and he calls to Gideon. Do you remember what he, he says to Gideon? He says, the Lord is calling you mighty warrior. God already knew. God already knew. Was he a mighty warrior then? No. Was he a mighty warrior at the end? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But the Lord already saw that from the very beginning, before he took any of those steps of faith. And I think that's the Lord's encouragement to us today. You know, a lot of us can feel beaten up and, and just trying to, I feel like, like me, just trying to get back to normal. You know, trying to get back into the groove of things. But I feel like the Lord is saying, I want to use you. I want to use you. And if you're like Gideon, and if you're like me, in that respect, you're like, how are you going to use me? Right? I'm the least of the least. What can I do? I think we can learn from Gideon and be encouraged, not just in his initial response, but also what happened to him with the fleece. Saying like, the Lord is with us. Not, is he, not only is he just powerful, he can be powerful in me 
and through me. That he can do that. That I can have courage and I can have faith, not because I'm amazing, not because I'm powerful, not because I have all the answers, not because I'm strong, not because of anything of me, but because of the Lord. When we can experience what Gideon experienced, we can have courage. When we know it's on the Lord and it's not on us, we can have courage. Last, last story I'll just share with you real quickly. Um, in the Standing Stone ministry, uh, we reach out to, to pastors and, and, and missionaries and people that are, are going through crisis and difficult times. And one of the things we're trying to do is be more proactive, right? And so one of the things we found is that a lot of the, the tension or the turmoil that pastors go through is this conflict between the board, the, the church leadership, and the pastor. So one of the things we did is uh, one of the shepherds in the Standing Stone ministry wrote a book about board meetings and how we want to change this to not be an adversarial kind of relationship, right? And so uh, he asked me to come and to uh, read his book, you know, and to kind of get my thoughts on it, and so I did. And while I'm reading through this book, I felt like the Lord speaking to me and saying, you need to be a part of this ministry, right? And my role at Catalyst was as executive pastor. I was in charge of the board and the staff and all those different things. He said, the things written in the book are all the things that you tried to do at Catalyst. And so I thought, wow, this is kind of coming out of nowhere, but I think I want to be open to that, right? So I call this guy up and I share what I just shared with you that the Lord was speaking to me about uh, doing that and partnering together with him. And he was so encouraged. He's like, this is so great because I thought that I was going to have to do this by myself. And uh, so he felt really encouraged by that. So anyway, he, we got a group of people together and we had our first kind of session to kind of brainstorm about how to get this book in the hands of like different churches and pastors and stuff like that. And so what they were going to do is to try to have this training video uh, going over the chapters of the book. And in the training video, this guy who is leading it, he said he wanted to try to get well-known people uh, in the Christian community to try to come and to play a part in each video. Okay, so uh, there, we called our first meeting uh, with all, the, all of our group to brainstorm. I couldn't make that meeting, right? And so, but I got sent the notes afterward about what came out. And so what happened during this meeting is that they started brainstorming about, who do you know? Who do you know that might be like, you know, known in the Christian community, da, da, da. And so they sent me the list afterwards. And I'm looking at this list like, oh my gosh. You know, there's people like Greg Laurie, there's a, pres there's a senator on there, there's a president of a Fellowship of Christian Athletes was on there, there was all these different people on there. Uh, for you old school people, like Experience of God, Henry Blackaby was on there, and there was all these lists of different people. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all these people. And then the thought came to me, I'm so glad I wasn't at that meeting. I don't know anybody like this, right? I would have zero contribution. And then all these like doubts start coming to my mind. It's like, what am I doing a part of this group? Like, what do I have to offer? You know, like these people are connected to all these different like well-known people. Like, what do I have to bring? And then you know what the Lord told me? He's like, why are you part of this group? And I said, because you told me. Because <laughs> you told me to do it. And then that's when it dawned upon me. That's what I bring. If the Lord is calling me to do it, he's going to be there with me. That's what I'm going to bring. And I thought, yeah, I think God is a little more powerful than Greg Laurie or any of these people that are on this list. And I feel like that's the attitude or perspective we need to have. 
And we think, what do I bring? I bring God with me. If he is the one calling me, he's going to be there with us. Let's close and pray.